Well, good morning. I'm grateful for Zeal House. The Lord really used them uh, this weekend, and I'm pumped about being here. Uh, I have a lot of messages that people in Florida gave me to say to you because they were not happy. <laughs> when uh, your pastor's wife left Florida. Now, they were mixed emotions about uh, the pastor, but they were all very, very upset. And uh, I know that gets an amen and FM. Notice I wait to share that wonderful revelation uh, the last few moments I'm in town. All right. I do thank you for your love for young people, the role your church played and the unity displayed uh, in the city. But we're about the next generation. Those of us that love this nation, those of us that love our families, uh, we realize that not only are we in guacamole up to here, now forgive me, that's a a Greek term, but uh, we also realize that this next generation is in for the fight of their lives. For all the things that's made our nation great, our nation one of the great uh, lighthouses and sources of hope for the planet for these hundreds of years. But these are interesting days. And so I want to share with you what I believe is one of the great crown jewels of the Bible. Now, obviously, we believe all scriptures given by the inspiration, by the theonest, the breath of God. So we know every word is inspired, but there are certain verses. Would you agree that for whatever reason, maybe our background, maybe the circumstances in which we heard them, maybe the transformation that's happened since we first read them or heard them, but there are certain verses for each one of us that just seem to be like a crown jewel. So in my, thank you, buddy. And, uh, in my life, I promise you what we're about to read in Second Corinthians chapter 5 is one of the great crown verses, I believe, in the Scripture, but I know in my life. Corinth is a place that could describe many cities in our nation. Corinth is this town. It was a coastal town. It was where the sailors came. And uh, it's where one of the great ancient engineering marvels are, the Corinthian Canal. It's about 65, 70 miles from Athens. We have all heard of Athens. We know about the beauty. We know about the sculptures. We know about the buildings. We know about the poets. We know about the classical uh, influence that Athens has had. But yet Corinth was a far cry from that. Now, not that far away, but it was a city known for getting down in the dirt and doing just about whatever they wanted to do in their own lives or to anyone else. In fact, the city, it's kind of interesting because there is a verb in the language based on Corinth. And literally, today we would say to Corinthicize. In other words, the lifestyle, 
was as low as it could get. You name any type of debauchery, you talk about temple prostitutes uh, in the ancient temples, you talk about adultery, you talk about every uh, perversion or every uh, deviant, anything that you've ever read anywhere in history, Corinth would take second place to no one. And so sometimes people would describe, well, that person, man, they're Corinthicizing. Can you imagine your city being known for doing just about any despicable thing? And that was what the town was known for. And yet in the midst of that, in this background, one of the great churches arose. We have two letters written to the church at Corinth. And what we're in chapter one, we find out they really are uh, that low. And Paul makes it Waterford crystal clear. There's only one thing that could cleanse, and that was the powerful blood of Jesus. And then in Second Corinthians, we have what I believe is one of those crown verse, crown jewel verses, uh, and it's in Second Corinthians chapter five. Many of you'll know it when you hear it. Are as we read it. Second Corinthians chapter five, and we're going to begin in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not near Christ, not hanging around with those that are in Christ, not being respectful to Christ, not tipping our hat to Christ, not, you know, having gone when we were a child with our parents. No, no. To those who are in Christ. That spiritual union of when Jesus steps out of heaven and steps into our heart. And he makes us a part of his family. And I love the phrase, therefore. And I don't know about you, but whenever I see that, I always go, what's that there for? Well, let's find out. If anyone is in Christ, not near him, but in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given to those of us in Christ the ministry of, of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ and he was embracing the world. He was tearing down the wall of separation with the world. He was building a bridge over the gulf uh, that separated mankind and the rebellion and sin from the holiness of God. There's a lot of interesting, very... uh, uh, graphic and demonstrative phrases, but just simply that God was in Christ performing this miracle, right? Making us one, getting us back together. And again, it's only possible through the life and death and burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now he's given to us that same ministry that you and I have the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Now, my background and uh, our young people here have been very patient. They've had to hear probably more of that than they ever one or two in 12 lives. But my background, six broken homes, six uh, 
foster homes, and that was even before there was really a foster home system. Many of those were court-mandated situations. And then because of lack of affection and lack of any kind of protection as a kid uh, and not much imitation for me to look at and follow, I ended up being arrested six times, busted six times. So uh, I was a trophy. <laughs> I was the... I was the kind of guy that when they, as a mama, you looked out and saw me on, on the porch, you got your broom out and said, thanks, but no, I mean, you, you, we don't want you talking to our daughters. And the reason I tell you that is that that's how I felt most of my life. Not only did it seem like my family didn't want me because of my behavior and because of my attitude and because I think of a lot of pain in my life. I just uh, was a taker, never a giver. So the fact that I'm here getting to talk to you about being recon- reconciled to Christ, being cleansed, being forgiven, being made brand new, be- being given a new start. And so I shared that not with our young people one night when I was 17 years old, just out of the uh, the detention center for four months and came to our school. The, the governor of the state of Florida called my high school Marijuana High. Now that's an encouragement. They even put a sign out front. High school, great. Now everybody knew. But, uh, <laughs> sir, you'll get that about lunch today, I promise. But uh, I, I just want you to know that was kind of, you know, our world. It was the late 60s and early 70s and anything went and you tried to find life in a bottle pill or cheap thrill. And I got out of that detention center and I went back to this rowdy high school. But something had been happening while I was uh, tied up with a very important engagement. The Jesus movement was going on. And at the age of 17 with hair to the middle of my back and a methamphetamine junkie and track marks up and down my arms. When I went back to school and there was this anger and this emptiness in my life, I met young men and young women that were not ashamed. They weren't nervous. They weren't, uh, you know, I'm going to witness with my life. They were wanting everyone to know. Has your school ever won the state championship? You kind of want everybody to know especially those that go to other rival schools, right? I mean, that's half the fun. When something really unbelievable, phenomenal happens, we want everyone to know we're not ashamed. I'm still wearing Dallas Cowboy back-to-back Super Bowl memorabilia. It's a little tighter than it was back then, but it shrinks. It it was, you know, it it must have been the shrinkage of in the, uh, the washing. But... So we like, we like everyone to know, hey man, here's what our team, and that's what sharing Jesus is. Only the big difference is you want everyone to be part of that team too. And if you could have seen these young people listening and taking notes, singing as the pastor shared and praising the Lord and then so quick to come, they didn't wait on somebody else to come and we didn't have to sing 117 verses. I mean, they came sometimes even before there was any singing. It was neat to see some young people when they said, excuse me, and they were making their way out. And and I never forget seeing several of them kind of uh, people were sitting and they were coming. And several folks just kind of leaned over and said, 
come with me. I mean, friends were bringing friends. There were a lot of tears. Now, I, I, I'm excited about that, but I just want you to know that's what makes verse 17 a crown jewel. Now, we're familiar with the crown jewels, right? They're on display right now. If you wanted to see them in the Tower of London, they're worth maybe uh, $15 billion, they believe. It's obviously heavily guarded. And that's those are crown jewels. But I promise you, those, those jewels are nothing compared to this verse. This verse is like a diamond. And you know, when you go to buy jewelry, expensive jewelry, I know this is true because I've, I've read about it. But when you go to buy real expensive jewelry, what does a good jeweler do? They display that, that jewel, that stone, but they lay down like what? Black velvet. And the reason this is a crown jewel and the reason it shines is the city of Corinth is like black velvet. I mean, it's blackness. How today can you leave here with a crown jewel? How can you leave here and put yourself in the narrative of one of the most exciting discussions in all of literature and in all of history and in all of the Bible, how can we leave here and go, I know that I know that I know that if I die tonight, I have eternal life. A lot of people ask me, how, how, how did you get started telling people about Jesus? Well, that night that I stood and, and I asked Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me and and I asked him to step out of heaven and come into my heart. And I went home and flushed the drugs and flushed the booze. And all the rats were high on the sewer for looked like a couple of months. And uh, But as I came clean and I repented and, and then I had, you know, withdrawal. And the creator of the universe was there with me. You know, Jesus isn't just Savior. He's Deliverer. And he's there when you need him the most. I was asked, uh, I think it was Friday night. How would you summarize kind of everything that happened that night in your life? I mean, how do you summarize when, from when you walked in to when you left? And it was real simple. I said, there's two things. I found out that if God be for me, who could be against me? And then I found this out. He's too good to keep to myself. I've got to share it. I've got to talk about it. I don't have all the answers and I don't want to try to force anything on anybody. And I don't want to be one of those people that go, now you need to listen to me. No, but when you discover something so incredible, it's too good to keep to yourself. Now, one other thing I'd like to share with you to describe how powerful this verse is. One of the great sculptures in history is by a, a gentleman named Rodin. And we have a, the opportunity to take thousands of students around the world, but we get to go to Paris every year in London and Oxford. And the reason we go to Paris, because the main thing is we want to go to Normandy. Talk about a, a jewel in all of history. The courage and the display and the sacrifice and the accomplishment took place on those beaches in Normandy to save the whole world. But I love going to Rodin's Sculptor Garden. 
and there's the gates of hell, and there's the thinker, and and the prisoners of Calais, and the kiss, and all these famous world-renowned sculptures. But while I was there, and our students come, you know, and there's so many of them, we have to, I, I'm there most of the day waiting for these couple of buses, and then we take them through, and then they leave, and then I'll wait a little while, and another couple of buses will come. So while sitting, waiting at the Rodin Sculpture Garden, all of a sudden, I heard this horrible screech. And this lady came running from one of the buildings into the gift shop where the management office was. And she was screaming. And it was in French, so obviously I I knew something was wrong and something was up, but I had to get some some help. What, What is wrong? What is she saying? I didn't know if there was a fire or who knew what. And you know what she was saying in French with broken heart and tears? The hand of God is missing. The hand of God is missing. Now, Rodin usually made several copies of all of his great works. And it just so happened in Buenos Aires, Argentina, one of the sculptures, and it's it's a smaller sculpture, but in such great detail, it's called the Hand of God. And it had been stolen from that museum. And I'm sitting there, and of course I'm thinking about the young people that are coming, and I want them, I'm praying that the Lord will change their life and transform them and help the little boy sit down and the man stand up and the little girl sit down and a young woman stand up and let's own our faith and then because we own it and we understand it, let's go share it, right? But that one sentence, can I be honest with you? There's probably no other sentence that could describe the lifestyle and the depravity and the immorality and the sin and the shame in Corinth. If you want to understand Corinth, I think you could say the hand of God is missing. And I've never forgot that moment where she was in tears. But as we look at our country, maybe there needs to be some tears. The hand of God looks like is missing or withdrawing from our country. Now, there's another great sculpture from ancient. Now, you know, from a guy, you know, who uh, was told he couldn't graduate and a guy that was turned down by 13 colleges because of my background and being dyslexic and being ADDDDD. They made up a few Ds, I think. But uh, uh, 13 school, 13 colleges said no. Uh but because of my testimony and some Christians went to bat for me, but I, maybe it's because I just want you to know that I really do have a little education. I'm telling you about these very sophisticated sculptures. Isn't that impressive? That's highbrow, right? But anyway, one of the greatest sculptors to ever live is a guy named Lysipras. And he's the guy that did the statue of Alexandria, of, excuse me, of Alexander the Great, the only, the only image we have of him. He did about 3,000 sculptures. My favorite, and it has to do with this verse, it is Kairos. And it's the statue of opportunity. The statue of opportunity, the sculptor in great detail. Now, if, if all you have is a stone 
And even if you're a genius and you know how to use the hammer and the chisel and you know how to uh, emphasize and you know how to, to create life out of that dead stone, create this image, how in the world would you convey opportunity out of a rock, out of a stone? And it was real simple. And if you were to see the statue and you can look it up and see, it shows this man in a running position. And he's, it, it's teetering, some phenomenal engineering feet back, way back in that day. He's literally, it's not like most sculptures where both feet, you know, are planted on the ground. It looks, he's literally like he's about to come forward. He's, he's moving, he's running. And in the front of that statue, there is this one like a ponytail in the very front of the hair, of the head. And it's like all of a sudden, what is it? It's a ponytail, if you will, his hair. And it's bound up and it's hanging down in the front. And so it shows this runner and he's running. And you walk in, it's like he's running towards you. And you notice his head is completely bald except for this one, you know, ponytail in the front. So then, since it's a statue, and if you want to appreciate it, you walk, you have to walk around it. And you know what it shows from the back? From the back? The head is completely bald. And you know what he's communicating, don't you? Opportunity can only be grabbed, can only be somebody getting hold of, somebody taking advantage, somebody being able to capture. And that's why he had the hair in the front. Because as long as there's an opportunity in front of you, what? You can take advantage of it. Does that make sense? And it's a fascinating sculpture. So this verse and this backdrop of Corinth, it's like the hand of God is missing. So that's one great sculpture. But guess what? There's another thing this verse implies. You and I have an opportunity to be able to be cleansed, to be forgiven, to be made brand new, to be saved. No matter our background, no matter some of the things with all our heart we wish we could undo, no matter the things that we hope no one will ever find out in our life, the God of mercy and the God of love says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, she's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So I call this verse, even with all those very sophisticated uh, intellectual examples, and I have to point that that's I have to point out that's what those were because no one would ever know. But I just want you to understand: my life is this verse, and I'm going to ask you to write down a phrase right now. Maybe you can even write it in your Bible. I'm one of those like to. You know, I know you're, you know, the word of God is the word of God, even on your phone. Now, those of, those of us over about 40, you know, we don't, we want the, we want to hold it in our hand, right? Parchment and onion skin and leather, right? That's the word of God. But the word of God never returns void. The word of God is inspired every jot and tittle. 
And you need to know that even if it's font on a phone and it's God's word, it's a verse, it never comes back void. But if you have your Bible and you can write or you're taking notes, I call this one verse, yes, it's a crown jewel. Yes, it's in this horrible situation and circumstance and it shines so bright because of the, the value and the unbelievable effect of this verse. But guess what? I call this shake off the dust. See, not only did I get forgiven for what happened in the past because of the blood of Jesus, do you know what had to happen? I went home and got rid of the drugs. And I went home and I really had to learn how to walk again, you know, as far as becoming a man and becoming a young man and, and, and trying to live up to the holiness of God. And Jesus was in my life, not only when I was going through the horrible pain of withdrawal, but he was there those next days. And by the way, he's been there over uh, 55 years. He's never left. Sometimes I used to set the clock in the middle of the night and go, Jesus, you know, I mean, you know just I thought maybe he'd take a break, go to 7-Eleven, you know, or do, I mean, you know. But he's there no matter what, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in. You ever had any weeks like that? Day in and day out, day in. We all have those times when it's like somebody ripped our heart out or we're exhausted or no one understands us or things just haven't worked out or people didn't keep their, you know, we all have those grind of a day. But listen. He never leaves. He never forsakes. And so this great passage taught me, all right, Jay, now look at what it says. Old things pass away and all things become new. I get to shake off the dust. Now, you know, that there's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus said, if a town runs you out and they don't want to hear about me and they don't want to hear about the laws of God and they don't want anything to do with you and you get expelled, he said, you just go outside the city and take your shoes off and just shake off the dust from your sandals and the shoes. That's a pretty cool phrase, right? Shake off the dust of your past, but not just hurt but the dirt even in our own lives, right? Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? Just underline that phrase, if you would, in your Bible, if you can. Pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, anything, you know, it'll work. But just circle that or underline it. You know what it means? To be in that pos- new life, number one, you get a new position. I'm no longer down here being run over by life. My friends, many of in this room will remember back when every Sunday we had the cartoons and the comics. You'll remember Beetle Bailey. And how many times did we see Beetle Bailey where his, he was lying on his back and there's a shoe here and a nose over here and an ear, you know, and Sarge has just beat the stew and poor old Beetle Bailey's lying there in pieces. And I want you to know, when I started understanding this verse, that image came to mind. That was me. I was run over by life. I was run over by my own sin, my own decision. My life was in pieces. But Jesus, when he comes into your life, you're no longer down here on your back 
in pieces looking up, the Bible says, are you ready? You and I are sitting with Christ in heavenly places. Can I be honest with you? I like the view up here. Hello. A whole lot better than I like it down here. Somebody said, Jay, what was the first thing you thought of or the first thing you said when you understand, when you begin to understand you have a new position? I said, I just looked down at the devil and said, your mama. But, but that's, that's a, that's a side, side note. You don't need to really, well, it's pretty good. You may want to write it down. But, but Jesus Christ gives us a new position. And I'm telling you, it's the only way to live. Not only do you get a new position, you get a new potential. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We just re- I told our, the students this the other night, we just had our a great big, 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 big number and, uh, reunion. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to reveal my wife's age, you know. But anyway, but it was, you know, a biggie. And they, this guy stood up and made a statement. We need to recognize the couple who's been married the longest in our student body. And when I saw who the winner is, this guy says, I went back and asked three people, was this right? And I, the winner, he said, not only has been married the longest than anybody here, but it's to the same woman. In most of my school, you remember marijuana high is going, oh, yeah, okay. But guess what? You ready? He said, it's Jay Strack. And everybody thought he was, they were being punked. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Only Jesus can make you brand new. Only he can give you what? A new position up here looking down. Not only does he give you, you ready, a new potential. I can do all things through Christ. I got through college in two years and two months. I got a bunch of degrees. I've written a bunch of books. I've been to 43 countries. I mean, there's no way. And the only reason I'm boring you with that is just to simply say, this isn't preacher talk. This isn't Sunday school talk. This is the word of God. And if you and I settle for anything less than a new position up here looking down, a new potential, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even if you're dyslexic and even if you're ADDD, some of you can kind of tell anyway, can't you? But anyway, understand he makes us brand new. Last of all, you get a a new personality. A new personality. How many times have you heard somebody say in your family when there's been a squabble or an argument, well, uh, he's just, uh, you know, uh, he's just like his daddy. Well, God help your mama, but you don't have to be that way. Or she's just like her, her mama. Well, you don't have to be that way. You and I can get a new personality. Language, attitude, outlook. And I can't tell you what happens when the joy of Jesus begins to transform your life. So, 
I don't want to live with the hand of God missing in my life. I don't want to live bowed over like this and shame even to look sometimes in the mirror. I don't want to be down here where everything dominates my life instead of God's will and making the right choice and learning how to give and learning how to serve and learning how to be used by God. So this wonderful verse, new position, new potential, new personality. And when Jesus is in you, you begin to shine. And last of all, I just want to tell you, and what I'm about to share with you in about two minutes, listen quickly, please. It is kind of what every great movie is based on and what every great television series that really stands the test of time. There's several steps. You see, it starts out where someone, are you ready, is a victim. That was me. I grabbed hold of my dad's leg as he was leaving with the suitcase. Dad, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And he pushed me down and drove off with another woman. Years later, there was another time when my dad was in a, a stepdad number, pick a number, uh, was in a bar. And my mom went in to beg him to come home. She's sitting on the steps of that grimy bar in the rain, weeping. And he wouldn't come home. And so I ran into that bar. I'm eight or nine. And all those men, and by the way, bars don't look like they do on the commercials. You know, the commercials, the ladies look like models. The guys look like they just stepped out of the gym. There's a waterfall. Palm trees are blowing. You know, I went in there and I could hear the theme song to deliverance. Now, some of you will get that, okay? I bet there were 12 teeth in the whole, in the whole place. I mean, it, this was not, uh, you know, this was not the winner's circle. And I go in there and there's all, and I'm eight or nine and, and all these men, some of the men turned around and said, what are you doing in here, boy? I said, I came to tell Bob, I want him to come home. And Bob turned around and Bob said, Jay, you don't need to be in here. Go home. I said, no, I want you to come home. You promised to be my dad. And all the men started saying, Bob, will you be my dad? Bob, will you come? And so I found out men can be influenced by peer pressure just like teenagers and young people. And then I made a statement. I said, please come home, be my dad. He said, Jay, if you get on your knees, beg me to come home. I'll come home. And I didn't know about being tough or cool or bad to the bone. I'm like nine or eight, whatever. And I get on that sticky floor, that sticky bar floor. I said, please come home. He started laughing. All those men started laughing. And that was the night the light went out inside me. And it was that way till I was 17. Jesus turned the light on. Do you know almost every great movie, every great book, it talks about someone being victimized by war, by being taken prisoner, by abuse, by a decision. I mean, there's a victim but then the next step in every great journey is what? Sometimes the victim wants to inflict pain on everyone else. And you, the victim sometimes becomes the villain. I was the Jesse James of my own life. But then guess what? I started selling drugs to others. I started encouraging others to do the very things that I hated and destroyed my life. So you go from victim to villain... And then there's a moment where, guess what? There's redemption, forgiveness, love, a new life, 
And all of a sudden in that movie or book or whatever, there's a hero. And you know the final step in every great movie or narrative of life? When all of a sudden the hero turns around and doesn't just enjoy all his new life, he then or she then becomes a guide. Can I share with you what changed my life? Can I pray for you? Would you come to our church? Would you come be a part of our Bible study? Can I let you know that what life is really like? And so simply put, you wrap all this together. My daughter Missy is had open heart surgery when she was two months old, had corrective eye surgery when she was a year and a half old, a year and a half old, had um, major spinal and had to have rods put in her back when she was about nine. And I never, and she had to take uh, uh, seizure medicine and she hated that. And one day because she was kind of having a pause, a seizure, she didn't close the back door all the way in. She was with some friends, you know, she was just a young girl. She fell out of the car and the tire went over her hand. She got this horrible burn. And so here's my daughter. She's lying in bed and she doesn't want to do what you have to do to ever get well. I mean, she had to wear a brace on her and I had to strap her into that brace. She had to sleep in that brace for like eight or nine hours to be straight. And then I had to put ointment on that boon, on that burn and put on a glove so the pressure would keep the, you know, the scar down. And she had to take her seizure medicine. And she had her hearing aids that we put over on the, by the side of the bed. And back then, the hearing aids were bigger than your head, you know. So everybody knew, you know. And here's this beautiful little girl. And one night, she just said, Daddy, I can't take it anymore. Daddy, I don't want this. I don't want to wear this brace. I don't want this. I don't want that. And she started throwing things. And I said, you don't want this stuff? I said, honey, I don't want you to have it either. I said, I, I hate. Do you hate this? Yes, Daddy, I hate this stuff. I hate it too. And I picked up that brace. Look at me, folks. I'm kind of proud of this. I body slammed that brace. And then I did the nature boy walk. I mean, you know, I said, I body slammed the brace. I threw the pills down. I threw the glove down. I laid the hearing aids down gently. Still paying for them, I think. But, uh, you know, back in the day. But, and I never will forget. She said, Daddy, you hate this stuff too? I said, man, throw that brace down. I mean, throw that medicine down, you know. And I said, you know, honey, I feel the same way, but look at me. And I started rubbing that oil back on her hand and putting that glove on and made sure she took her medicine, started strapping her into that brace. And she said, Daddy, I, I, thought, you thought, I thought you understood how I feel. I said, I do, honey, but look at me. I love you just like you are. You can have a hard time hearing you can have sometimes, you know, some lack of concentration, seizures. You could, you know, have to wear a brace and be a little crook. But I, I love you just like you are. But I think every parent in this room know what my next line was. But I love you too much to leave you like this. And we're going to get through this. And I want you to be tall and straight and beautiful 
and marry some creep and uh that's a Georgia bulldog. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I had sorry. Just got a little personal there for a moment. But uh uh here's what I want you to know. In just a moment we're gonna bow our heads. And I'm gonna be real straight with you. Jesus loves you with all the problems and all the heartache and all the challenges and all the weaknesses and all the scar. He loves us like we are. But he loves you too much to leave you like that. So this morning we're talking about asking God to shut the door of hell and open the door of heaven. And we're asking him to keep his promise that he made to so many people. If we come to him, old things will pass away. All things will become new. We can shake off the hurt. We can shake off the dirt. And we can begin to walk and have a new life. But there's an opportunity in front of you. But you can only grab an opportunity when it's in front of you. Don't leave the same way you walk in. Don't, don't keep going through the motions. Don't just keep staying the way. When God says to you, I love you, I'll forgive you, this is your invitation to come and ask him to give you this powerful, personal problem. I'm in Christ. We're going to pray. We would love the privilege to pray with you, to open the Bible with you, to share with you. And I'm going to ask you, let's not, I know, we're going to go, we're going to go try to beat everybody at the restaurant. But look at me. Don't leave here the way you came in. Fair enough? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you to be in a, for being in a church that's known for preaching the gospel for loving a city, for loving people, loving young people and families. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to just, in my own different way, trying to just share what it's like to have Jesus in, in, in our lives. I ask you to forgive and cleanse and save and change. I ask you to give courage to every man and woman, young person in this room. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a very personal question. How many of you would say, Jay, I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. I know that I know that I know that I know if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. And Jay, I, there may be some things in my life I know God speaking to me about and some things I need to work on or get right. But Jay, I just know that today I am in Christ. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm going to ask with no one looking, and I'm going to ask without you, you know, waiting to see if you feel or hear a jacket rustle near you or you feel since somebody raised a hand. Or Let's not play the game where we do what other people around us are doing. I'm asking you honestly, how many of us could say this morning, I know that I know that I know I've been cleansed, I've been forgiven, and Jesus Christ is in me. With every head bowed, would you just slip your hand up high all over this room, upstairs and down, just for a moment. 
I know. I know. God bless you. Thank you. Put your hands down. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I believe in prayer. I would love the privilege to be able to pray for you. I wonder how many would say, Jay, I didn't raise my hand just then. But I need Jesus. I need a new life. I need old things to pass away and things to start becoming new. I need to be cleansed and set free. And I, I want Jesus to come into my heart and into my life. And Jay, pray for me that I would not be too proud to just raise my hand and ask for prayer. That I pray for me that I'd not be ashamed to say, I know I need Jesus. And I want him while he's in front of me, while there's this open door, this open window, this opportunity. Jay, pray for me that I'll give my life to Jesus. Find hope and forgiveness and cleansing for it's everlastingly too late. Help me not pass it by. With every head bowed, every eye closed, how many would just simply say, and I promise you, no one's going to point at you, no one's going to embarrass you. We just believe in prayer. And I know what it was like. It was hard for me when I raised my hand that night. But I just decided to get, for once, to get honest with God. How many would just say, Jay, pray for me. I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus before it's everlastingly too late. Would you slip your hand up high? Right where you are, all over this room. Just for a second. Leave it up. Just a second, please, because the auditorium is so big. God bless you, sir. God bless you, young lady. Anyone else? Mom, dad, amen, my friend. Yes. Way in the back. Yes, sir. God bless you. In the balcony, I'm sorry. Did you just slip your hand? Jay, I need Jesus. I need a new life. I need forgiveness. I need him. Anyone else? And then with every head bowed, every eye closed, last question. How many of you would say, Jay, I am a Christian, but I'm not in church There's some things in my life that I know I need to get right with God. Jay, I need to recommit my life to Christ. I need, would, I need prayer. I need someone to help me kind of get started again, living for Him. And I just wonder with every head bowed before we pray for those who raise their hands. Jay, pray for me. I believe I know the Lord. I believe when that day comes, I'll go to heaven. But I know there's things in my life right now that are breaking the heart of God. Regardless of your age, regardless where you're sitting, would you just slip your hand up high? Unashamed. Maybe you need to get a church home. You need to get back in church. Pray for me. I want to come clean with the Lord. I want to get right with God. Would you just slip your hand up high? Right where you are. Amen, guys. Amen, young ladies. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about being obedient. We're talking about before, for God or against God. And I'm going to ask the pastor to come and men of God to come and stand here in the front. And they're here in just a moment. Let's just stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just stand right where you are. And I'm going to ask as we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you that raised your hand. I'm going to ask you that wanted to raise your hand but didn't but i'm going to ask us in these next few moments this is an invitation to come to christ and he says if you come to me i'll in no wise cast you out for those who said i need jesus and salvation and forgiveness 
For those who said, I need to get back in church, I need a church home. For those who said, man, I need to follow Jesus, things in my life are breaking the heart of God. Lord, have your will and your way as we sing in these next few verses. Come and take one of these men of God by the hand and let us open the Bible and pray with you and share with you. You come in Jesus' name, unashamedly. And just say, excuse me, these folks will not mind moving for you as we sing you come. <laughs>